The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. Welcome. Welcome in the name of Jesus Christ today to all of you here, to all of you tuning in online. It is a pleasure to have you with us. We are honored by the presence of the Mulliken family this morning. We had a very very special time of honoring Lee yesterday here at this church. And I want to welcome you, especially if you're visitors as well, and uh, just thank you for being here to spend time with us and let you know that you can fill out a digital visitor's card by scanning the QR code in your Sunday sheet, or you can find physical copies in the lobby. Uh, But we'd love to be able to connect with you. We're just glad that you're with us and chose to spend some time with us this morning. And I want to invite you to spend a little time with us tonight as well. At 5 p.m., we've got our annual Trunk or Treat event right out here in the church parking lot. Always a good time. Fun, food, games, candy. Bring some friends. Bring your kids. Bring anybody. Have a blast tonight with us at 5 p.m. at Trunk or Treat. I hope you'll be there here in the church parking lot. But this morning we're continuing in James, the letter of James, wisdom from above. We're in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 together this morning. My brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly... And if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith? and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but if you murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks this morning. I give you thanks for this room filled with your image bearers, filled with people striving to follow your son Jesus. God, we seek to be transformed this morning by your powerful word and ask for your Holy Spirit to illuminate 
that word. I ask for the gift of preaching, God. And we ask that you would help us to put these words into practice. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Colin is my oldest and dearest friend. He was the best man at my wedding, been friends forever, and he's living in Los Angeles now with his wife, Lindsay. They've been out there for quite a while. And they were involved for a season with a megachurch in Los Angeles. It's a really exciting church, lots of cool things going on there. And Colin actually, for a spell, was a part of their connections ministry, which is not like here, connections, small groups, but more like the greeting ministry, right? Making connections and finding new faces. And he was one of a few plucked from that group to help out whenever VIP showed up at the church. This is LA, after all, it's Hollywood. Even the churches are occasionally visited by the stars. And so there was one particular Wednesday night when the church had invited in a guest speaker from Florida, kind of a celebrity pastor figure. And Colin's outside the church and a Porsche pulls up and this guest speaker steps out also with the son of the pastor of the LA church and they step out and Colin valets their car. They don't really say anything to him. They just walk in this kind of side entrance into a holding green room area. A little bit later, a Rolls Royce pulls up in front of the church and out steps Kanye West and Kim Kardashian. And Colin's friend valets them away and Colin opens the door and they walk into this back entrance to this little holding room. And a little while later, a black SUV pulls up right before the service is about to start. There's a disco ball and lights going on inside and Doors open up, another celebrity pastor walks out with Justin Bieber. And so they come into this little holding room area, and there's all kinds of a nice spread in there, fancy foods and artisan glass bottled Voss waters, all kinds of stuff. And most of the church enters through the right side of the auditorium. But there's also this kind of little left side entrance that you can reach from that holding room hallway, and so there's actually this little section of seats that are roped off, and there's reserve signs on the seats, and some members of the ministry will have to turn people away from not sitting there. And sure enough, this is the very section where that Wednesday night, Kanye and Kim and Justin and some celebrity pastors sat for that Wednesday night service. Now, I have to confess, when Colin first told me this story years ago, I was starstruck. I was excited about it. I mean, you know, there's something very natural, I think, as Ben alluded last week, to being kind of excited in the presence of star power. I wasn't even there. So imagine the people that knew about this happening in the church. But there were others there who didn't feel that way. Uh, Colin recounts one of his friends actually saying, you know, I just doesn't feel right. Something about this whole celebrity affair kind of feels strange. Colin's father-in-law actually happened to be in town. He was also there that night, and he said, you know, there's something, just something about it that doesn't really sit right with me. And indeed, I think reading James chapter 2 and thinking about this story, something just doesn't 
feel right about it. Now, on the one hand, again, there's almost nothing more natural than for us to feel a little bit of excitement in the presence of a very important person. As Ben said last week, when the president shows up on campus or when Dwayne the Rock Johnson, if he were to show up, things would get done. You know, sidewalks would be mended, flowers would be planted. We're excited about that kind of thing. But there's also something about it that feels off in the book of James. It seems natural to us as humans, but I think what we're finding in the book of James and in the teachings of Jesus is that following Jesus often entails doing the opposite of what feels natural. Following Jesus often entails doing the opposite of what comes naturally. The Sermon on the Mount, remember? Turn the other cheek, love your enemy, pray for those who persecute you, gouge out your lustful eye. Now James, consider it joy when you're you're in trials. Don't show partiality. What sense can we make of the counterintuitive posture of Jesus and the letter of James? Let's see if we can find out together. Moving back into verse one, it says, my brothers and sisters, do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? That's something Jesus was famous for. He didn't show partiality. He wasn't a respecter of persons, right? He didn't show deference to people necessarily of a higher honor, rank, and status, right? Even his enemies acknowledge this. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees come up and they say, teacher, we know you're sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth and show deference to no one for you do not regard people with partiality. Now, they're trying to entrap Jesus, so they lead with this flattery about, yeah, you teach the truth, Jesus, But the part about partiality is just true. Jesus had this deserved reputation for not showing deference to people, for associating with really anyone, which is remarkable considering our innate capacity for favoritism, our innate capacity for division, our innate capacity to favor those who can favor us. You've all been in a middle school lunchroom most of you. You've all been in a high school cafeteria. We learned pretty quickly which tables we'd like to sit at. We learned pretty quickly which people we don't want to sit with. That wasn't Jesus' way. Jesus sat with anybody. Probably in your cafeteria, the last person you want to sit with is probably where Jesus would be sitting which is remarkable. Jesus was able to to bridge these boundaries, right? In Jesus' closest group, he had a zealot as an apostle, a political revolutionary, and a tax collector, the opposite. These guys should have been butting heads. Maybe they were, but in Jesus' world, they can sit together because he doesn't show partiality. Jesus shows mercy instead. So in this light, James says, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? 
Now this is what people love about James and it's what they really don't love about James is he cuts through it, right? He cuts through our empty words because of course we would say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. But James knows that cliche of all cliches that actions speak louder than words. So what do your actions say? All right, this is a kind of pragmatic approach to the truth. It's like, yeah, we could theorize about it, but how does it actually work out in your life? What do we actually see coming from your faith? Show me that. It's, it's something we kind of refer to sometimes as the fruits test, right? What are the fruits? As, as Jesus refers to in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, beware of false prophets, their wolves and sheep's clothing. You will know them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorns or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. I don't want to say too much about this because I think it's really a larger theme in chapter two, and it's possible that Ben's going to touch on this next week, in fact, in this territory. But Jesus and James pose us this question, what do your actions say about your faith? If you really want to know what you believe, what you value, what you care about, look at what you do. It's the fruits test. A Jesus tree bears Jesus fruit. So James asks us, what kind of fruit are we bearing? And maybe we mumble and look down at the ground and say, I... I don't know, give me an example. And so he does. He says, okay, if a person with gold rings and in fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who is poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? The gold rings and the fine clothes probably indicate that this was a Roman aristocrat, right? It's somebody of high rank, maybe a politician. It's somebody powerful. And they're coming into the assembly. And James is saying, if you show that person deference, partiality, and you neglect the poor, you've copied the social structures outside the church and pasted them in here. Right? He says you've, you've become judges with evil motives, with evil thoughts or reasonings because you're, you're measuring against the wrong measure. You're using the world's measure of honor. You're using the world's measure of status rather than measuring according to Jesus. He says don't copy the hierarchies of the culture and paste them inside Jesus' community. Or you've become judges with evil thoughts. But we do this. Right? We, we innately, again, we favor the people that we want favors from. Or we are attracted to certain people that we would like to be friends with. We, we want to show regard to those that we hold in high regard. 
In fact, Jonathan Haidt talks about this in his book, The Righteous Mind. He talks about how we make our kind of intuitive judgments and how a lot of us make decisions kind of from our gut, intuition, and then we sort of reason to it afterwards. That's a very human thing to do, of course. And he even he cites these social psychologists who, who show that, in fact, juries have been more likely to acquit people who are more attractive, right? And he, he cites judges who, uh, a study that social psychologists have done that judges were giving higher sentences, lower sentences, to people who were attractive. This is not a problem in our legal system, it's a problem with humans, right? It's a problem with all of us because we want to favor the powerful, the attractive, the rich, the famous. But the early church took a different direction. The early church took James at his word, right? In fact, there's a document from the third century of the church called the Didascalia. It just means teaching or instruction. And this document is written to kind of ministers, bishops, leaders, and it says, look, hey, if somebody comes into your assembly and they're rich, powerful, don't stop the service and find them a seat. Don't, just the congregation, they'll find them somewhere to sit, they'll work it out, you, you keep going, don't. But then it says, if a poor person comes in, you find them a seat. You find them a place to sit. If you, whatever you have to do, if, if you have to sit on the floor, you find that poor person a place to sit. The early church took James very seriously. Do we? That's how Jesus operated. He didn't show partiality. He blessed the lowly. He touched the people you didn't want to touch. And so James encourages us. He says, listen, my beloved brothers and sisters, has not God chosen the poor in the world to be rich in faith and to be heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who oppress you? Is it not they who drag you into court? Is it not they who blaspheme the excellent name that was invoked over you? You do well if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. James is calling us to measure according to God's standards, to see with God's eyes. Remember when God is telling Samuel to pick one of Jesse's sons to be the next king? And there's these strapping, handsome, tall, old sons. Surely, this must be the king. God says, whoa, I don't see that. I don't see like that, Samuel. I don't see as human sees. I see what? I see the heart. James is saying, see the heart of the poor. Judge according to God's vision. 
James is saying the church should be the place that upholds God's great reversal of rich and poor, that upholds God's verdict on behalf of the lowly, on behalf of the least of these, on behalf of the crucified. Church is the place where we don't reinforce the world's lies about status, but where we subvert them. Laura and I are big fans of the, that old TV show, The West Wing. I guess it's not that old, 2000s. Feels old now. We like The West Wing. There's an episode in one of the seasons where the president, Josiah Bartlett, he's, he's been having some sleepless nights. He's been experiencing insomnia, and so his chief of staff brings in kind of under cover of night a psychiatrist named Dr. Stanley Keyworth. And so throughout the episode, they have this long back and forth, this intense therapy session, this conversation between the president and Dr. Keyworth, and eventually Dr. Keyworth says, all right, we're done, and he stands up, and the president says, what? He says, yeah, it's, it's been two hours, it's a double session, we're done for the night. And the president looks at him, he says, look, I, I hate to put it this way, Stanley, but I'm me and you're you and we're done when I say we're done. To which Stanley says, no. He says, look, you, I think you need some assistance. Use me, don't use me, but, but here's what I can offer you. I'll be the one person in the world other than your family who doesn't care that you're the president. Church, what if we were the one place in the world that decided to resist the world's hierarchies of power? What if we were the one place in the world that that saw with the eyes of God, that, that saw to the heart? What if we actually cultivated a community of equal regard, a fellowship of equals that didn't pay attention to the markings of status and power and wealth around us, didn't copy and paste that inside here? What if we upheld God's great verdict on behalf of the poor? Jesus does. Remember Jesus in the cafeteria? He's sitting where you don't want to sit with the people you don't want to sit with. And in fact, there's a story about that. In Matthew 9, Jesus is at dinner in the house, and many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus didn't come for the people who have everything they need. He came for the needy. And church, that's all of us. We're all needy. The thing is, the, the real, one of the real things that separates the rich from the poor is that the poor can actually see it. 
they understand how needy we are. They understand how contingent the world is. They understand affliction. They understand their dependence on a God of love at every moment. But those of us who are rich, we're more susceptible to the lie. We're more susceptible to the lie that we're self-sufficient, to the lie that we've got it all figured out, to the lie that we are God's. The poor can just see the truth more clearly. And so Jesus says, I've come for those who are in need. Those who need a God of infinite mercy. A God who desires mercy, not sacrifice. And it's fitting that Jesus would cap this off with mercy because that's exactly where James goes at the end of our passage. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. For the one who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery but if you murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We all need mercy because we all show partiality. James knows that we fall short. He knows what it's like to be a human. He understands we're going to sin. That's why in chapter 5 he says, confess your sins to each other. Be open about it. Confess your sins. Because he knows that we're all in need of mercy. The only way we disclude ourselves, exclude ourselves from God's mercy, is by being unmerciful. But God says, if you join in my mercy, you're going to reap mercy. Because mercy triumphs over judgment. In fact, there was a 7th century Christian mystic named Isaac the Syrian, or Isaac of Nineveh. And Isaac was known for his incredible emphasis on God's everlasting, wide mercy. And Isaac said this in a sermon he preached 1,300 years ago. He said, as a handful of sand thrown into the great sea, so are the sins of all flesh in comparison with the mind of God. And just as a strongly flowing stream is not obstructed by a handful of dust, so the mercy of the Creator is not stemmed by the sins of His creatures. God's mercy is a river in flood. It's an ever-flowing stream that cannot be impeded by the handful of dust of our sins. Our sins are great, but they're nothing. They're nothing in the sight of God's infinite mercy and love. God will succeed. His mercy will triumph over judgment. He will lift up the poor. He will mend the brokenhearted. And he calls us to begin living that right now in a community, a fellowship of equals. Equals in the eyes of a merciful Savior who did not show partiality, but showed mercy to all. Let us stand and praise our merciful God this morning, church.